prior to this game, which uh, I think we were being quite sort of parsimonious about it. You know, we were trying to just say, let's just get out of North London with a point. Oh gosh, you know what? If we can just deal with a draw, get past Mourinho, I think it's going to be quite a difficult afternoon. And then Cavani's goal was disallowed and then it all changed on that tuppence and suddenly it was like, this game has to be won. This is the most important fixture in the history of Manchester United since Jose Mourinho was sacked. Well, we under-anticipated and United over-delivered, didn't they? So... Yeah, I think we we underestimated just how much we would care once we fell behind to Injustice and Jose Mourinho. Anyway, yeah. welcome to this week's Red Voices. Pleasure to have you here with us. You've got me, you and Lance and him, Richard Cannon, to discuss two games. One a bit better than the other, but to begin with, we'll be discussing United's 2-0 victory over Granada in Spain in the Europa League quarterfinals, combined with this afternoon's 3-1 defeat of Spurs in the Premier League, which leaves us sitting pretty in second place and looking pretty good for a Champions League spot. Such wood. Rich, how are we doing? Pretty good now. Yeah, yeah, much better than you were two hours ago. Yeah, I was I was in a state of of semi disguised rage at halftime. Um, semi disguised. Well, I tried to keep it to myself, and I tried not. <laughs> I tried. I tried not. To, I tried not to enter the WhatsApp group too much to uh, to vent it. But then all that's, things. That's turned. personal growth. I suppose this is this is an example of the wonders of football, isn't it? Mm. You know, forty five minutes before I was as annoyed and angry as I'd been in many, many, many moons. And then 45 minutes later, I just can't stop laughing at the whole thing. I mean, yeah, it's all good. with the way that game went, and we'll cover this in more depth once we've gone past the Granada game from earlier on in midweek, it just makes me feel good about the world, you know? Mm, yeah. Well, I'd also like to quote my friend who um, texted me up, my Spurs sporting friend who texted me after the game and said, I quote, lose, 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 boring shit wank, f*** off. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm on a Spurs podcast tomorrow morning and part of it's going to be me stifling giggles combined with essentially doing what I would imagine is going to be some level of therapy, trying Mm. to help them cope and deal with their emotions after well, what with what they're currently going through, considering that we were in this exact same position, what, two and a half years ago. Anyway, before we get onto all that sort of interesting Mourinho and Spurs chat, let's head back to Thursday. So United heading off to Spain uh, for their uh, first leg of their quarterfinal tie with Granada. Um, I think we expected a pretty tricky game. I'm not necessarily sure I expected it to be quite that difficult to watch. It was a proper stodgy game, wasn't it? It was, but Granada are a team that's kind of got to where they are on hard work and being difficult to play against. So I wasn't super surprised that it was a quite a stodgy game and the United didn't run riot. Um, that generally... I mean, I say stodgy, it was dirty yeah. at times. Yeah, it, was, it was just it was just really disjointed and... You know, Granada's, Granada's thing really is just to, to be compact um, and try and, you know, score a goal out of a set piece or or a bit of individual brilliance from someone like Kennedy. So I, I wasn't super surprised. I think United made it a little bit harder than it needed to be. I mean, I was thinking back about how we could analyse the game and there's really only two things of any note at all that I could that I could really talk about. One was the, the moment of quality for Rashford's goal, the first touch. Um, from the long ball from Lindelof was was the moment of quality in the entire match, and the other one was just a selection of David de Gea in goal, which seems to uh, um, have signified that he's now the he's he's Johnny not on the spot anymore for the uh, the games that matter. Ooh. So yeah, I mean we're going to be discussing that in a bit more depth because Henderson had a great game today, but yeah, you're spot on with that one. Um, I don't think I think Dave actually came in and did quite well in that game. You know, he didn't necessarily have to pull off any big saves because. I wouldn't say during the course of that 90 minutes, Granada actually created what you would consider a really presentable opportunity, right? But no, no. He felt sharp enough anyway, and he was dealing with a lot of well-struck balls that could have diverted or been deflected quite well, I thought. 
Yeah, no, I mean, he didn't do anything wrong. I can't, I can't fault him during the game. As you say, I don't think he was put under enormous amount of pressure. There was, there was more. There were, there were a few um, sort of dangerous set pieces, weren't there? Where United as a as a group needed to defend with, uh, needed to deal with him pretty well. But he didn't do anything that stood out to me as a bit of a clanger. I mean, he was he was mm. solid. We were we were reasonably solid as a as a, a unit defensively. Yeah, I mean, what we are in, if we are in a really nice position that we have got two good goalkeepers and I think finally we've almost got them the right way right way round in terms of perhaps where they deserve to be at this point in their or in their careers or in this season um, and it's just going to be interesting to see if Henderson can actually maintain his good form and, and, and kind of see De Gea off because I mean it's going to be really difficult I'm sure they can you know, United would be able to loan De Gea out or something, but you can't imagine there's any circumstance where a team will buy him and pay his wages. Um, no, so, no. so to actually take that decision and uh, to to say Henderson's your number one and try and move De Gea out, knowing you won't really get anything back and you'll have to pay a large portion of his wages, that's a really big call for a for a manager to make. But it looks like all that's kind of the the way that Ollie's heading at the moment. So, and, and I think that's a, that's another. Another brave call from him, but I think he's made an awful lot of brave calls in the last couple of years that some of them haven't been right, but but he's got an awful lot right as well. Yeah, and I think in terms of, you know, going back to the initial Stodge quote, I think the interesting thing in terms of the way Granada set up was that they were playing quite a high line in terms of their press, and mm. they, United especially, got absolutely swamped in midfield. You know, McTominay and Pogba were getting no time on the ball, so we couldn't necessarily build attacks very well. So in that sense, it wasn't really much of a surprise that the only the best chance of the game, in all honesty, came to us from a long ball pointed forward. And obviously, you've got to take into account the hilarity of Spanish TV keeping an eye on a half chance that was flashed by uh, De Gea's goal. And then he passes it out. And there's a, there's a good almost like 10 seconds in between that play starting and finishing because yeah. of how slow it was. Lindelof doesn't see anything on. And it is a stunning ball from the centre-back in terms of setting Rashford up there. And the first touch, as you say, is exquisite. And those are the sort of chances that, you know, six out of ten times Rashford's going to score. And especially given how it's very clear at the minute that he is playing through pain. Even you could see that even if we didn't have the confirmation from the manager that they're basically in constant discussion as to where his body's at, how he's feeling, what's twinging to come into the team at these stages and score goals like he did last weekend against Brighton and like he did on Thursday with that sort of lethality is fantastic. And especially because that was such a difficult game for United to get through Mm. just in terms of the fact that Granada were being, you know, scummy, I think is the only way I can say it at times. You know, that they were incredibly good at stopping United's flow and we're incredibly lucky with some of the yellow card decisions that we got in terms of players that are now suspended out of the second leg. You know, Maguire and Shaw and McTominay all out of the next game. Now, if we hadn't have won 2-0, I would be feeling a bit more frustrated about that. As it is, it's a chance to rotate and bring in a couple of other players and who might be worthy of the minutes. But it was ridiculous the amount of bookings we got in that game in comparison with Granada, considering how much more... I mean, maybe it did the referee just didn't have a very good eye on it, but there were so many fouls that just seemed to go unpunished when, especially they were happening in transition. Pogba got caught late after he played a pass, which is far more worthy of a booking than some of the ones we had. I mean, it was a, a genuinely befuddling refereeing performance, that one. And I don't often subscribe to the fact that, you know, referees have bad days every now and then, and I, but I don't necessarily think it's something against us. That was a genuine clangor of a performance. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if there's a bit of Granada of Again, as as a team, they're almost more more of destroyers than they are. 
architects, if that makes sense. Perhaps they're just a little bit better at it than, than United are. Going back to Rashford's goal, it absolutely baffles me how many times teams get caught by that, that exact move, by that exact goal. How many opposition managers or opposition scouts must have seen United chipping balls over the back four into the space behind, Rashford running onto it, controlling like a peach and, and, and finishing it. It just it really surprised me that Granada pushed up that high and just that, that teams continuously don't seem to understand that that's something we do because it just seems like such a basic kind of move, doesn't it? You know, how many goals can you think of where he's where he's essentially that's what's happened and his first touch is always exquisite, isn't it? From that that kind of mm. ball over the over the top. Um, even going back to Chelsea on the first day of last season, it was quite a similar goal, wasn't it? Pogba's Pogba's chip through and Rashford's touch was absolutely perfect before before finishing it. And I think that takes him pretty close to his best ever season tally doesn't it i mean I, if i was a pro i would have checked this exactly beforehand but um well it's all right because i already know yes this is 20th goal of the season and his best previously was last year at 22 so he needs but two goals to equal his best tally and three to succeed it which would be and given the amount of injuries he's had this season and giving football in general would be pretty special you know he's and he's been... playing injured exactly yeah i mean yes he had a big chunk of, the, of last season now i think it was what two or three months from the start of 2020 when he was out for us and obviously that somewhat coincided with uh, lockdown beginning but regardless you know he the kid's magic and i love mm. having him play for united and it's very clear at the minute that he's playing through pain and whatever performance he gives out you just got to appreciate his effort levels and taking on goals like that and coming up big in twice in the space of a week considering what his body is clearly going through at the minute was excellent and the penalty itself you know Bruno uh, Solskjaer was saying uh, in the um, in the post-match of that game that Bruno basically took that penalty with one eye because he did actually get touched quite badly by the defender in the second half there yeah. um, the keeper I mean the referee uh, pointed to the spot quite quickly I mean Maybe it was just because of the general disorganisation of the Spanish TV director. I had no idea what was going on. No, but, no. Uh, the, yeah, I mean, I the, the penalty itself, very, very close to being saved by Dantas de Silva, yeah. I mean, he, he gets a solid enough touch on it. He probably should be saving that, do you not think? Yeah, he should have done, yeah. I mean, he, he got his hand down to it and then almost just kind of palmed it into the net, didn't he? He wasn't, wasn't even yeah. struck very hard either, so um, it was a weird one. But 2-0, Rich, to uh, that's a lead to take away to Old Trafford on Thursday of this week. And given the chance that we've got to obviously rest three players, you would imagine Matic will come into side or Van der Beek. You would imagine if Baez fit, if he's returned back from uh, coronavirus restrictions, he'll be back in. Or maybe Axel Tuanzevi will come yeah. in from Maguire. You know, again, you're expecting Alex Tallis to come in for Luke Shaw and left back as well. There's a couple of changes that will be enforced, which might be useful for freshening up the squad for next weekend's game, which I believe is at home to Burnley. United have just got to see their way through this. Doesn't really matter if it's pretty, does it? A two-goal lead to take away to Old Trafford, knowing that we've got that cushion. We should be seeing this through and playing either Ajax or Roma with a certain degree of comfort, surely. Yeah, I think that, I think that second goal was important. I think most importantly because it means that he uh, that Oli probably can't afford to leave out Rashford for that that second second leg. Um, you know, perhaps have him on the bench, but he can give him a, a night off. Um, depending on how how confident he's feeling, he, he could even give give Bruno a night off or. You know, we've got a few options to change it, haven't we? I'd expect I'd expect um, Greenwood to start up front instead of Cavani um, as well, and obviously Dan James come back in um, in one of the one of the wide positions. Might even see a bit of Ahmad as well. So we're in a nice position where he can afford to to make a few changes and rest a few players. Having said that, he didn't do that against uh, Real Sociedad with a four 0 lead. So what do I know? I think that was the one that that second leg was the one game where I kind of really questioned his. 
his rotation a bit. Um, and I'd like to think that he's maybe thinking in a bit more of a global sense with this one and thinking, well, you know, Sos- Granada aren't anywhere near as good a team as Sociedad are and the, the threat from them in the second leg really shouldn't be enough to scare him into playing some of his best players if they're if they're kind of red zoning. No, no. And I think the thing is, obviously, with European games, you have five substitutions. If we do need to bring anyone on, on, then Bruno and Rashford can come on if they have to come on. Surely, in that sense, we can afford to make a couple of rather big changes, but needed changes to keep freshening, to keep the squad nicely freshened up ahead of, you know, another Sunday, Thursday turnaround. You know, this is going to be the way for most of the rest of the season now, especially if we get through to the semi-final, which we really should be doing at this stage, you know, with the next, uh, with the next round in two weeks' time after the conclusion of this initial one. So, yeah, I mean, a game to, again, uh, I've been saying this a lot lately, to endure rather than enjoy, but a very important result for United in this quest now, because as we've been saying for a little while now, it does feel really important for United to step, you know, push on from being in semi-finals and actually go on and win something, especially given how the league, you know, the, the title challenge just completely disintegrated before it ever really properly got going. Anyway, uh, speaking of uh, things that disintegrated, let's talk about that victory over Spurs today. That was a terrible segue, but there we go. Let's take a quick break. We have a small favour to ask, friends. If you're enjoying the show, please help spread the word. Leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts, Acast, or any podcast app you use. It's a small thing that helps shows like ours to move up podcast rankings and generate more listeners, and it would be hugely appreciated. Richard, 3-1 away at Spurs today. Um, I mean, given how things have been falling apart over at Spurs over the last six months or so, in particular since you know that defeat at Anfield, which seemed to... I mean, bearing in mind, if Spurs had won that game against Liverpool, they would have, probably, they would have gone top of the table at the time. Seeing how things have unravelled since then, listening back to Spurs podcasts, listening to fans and talking to people that I know in terms of how things are going in their mood it's just beat for beat exactly what we went through it's remarkable isn't it mm. yeah I mean I, I could not love to see it anymore um, <laughs> I mean I do feel to a certain degree for Spurs fans because it's not like this was their call and I don't think they love no. it I don't think they're enjoying it and I think in much the same way as we wanted things to work out even though we knew that it was potentially going to end in tears slash flames you you could see that they were going into it with the best possible intention of just saying, okay, well, he's a w- manager who's won plenty of things. He's won things at every single club he's been in. Give him a chance to see what he can do. But it's un- it's unravelled and fallen apart in such record time. It's remarkable. It's been a lot because I mean I don't think I don't think COVID's helped him in the, in the sense in the way that it's helped anybody else either. But most of the improvements that you see come from Mourinho are because he buys players, or a lot of the improvements you see that comes from from Mourinho teams are because he buys players. I would say for probably about 15 years, maybe 15 years, maybe 10, 10, 10 15 years, he was a truly generational coach in, in the respect of the, the way that his, his teams played and the way that he was able to get teams to win matches and win particular matches. But quite clearly, football's changed and, and he hasn't changed and it doesn't work anymore. And and, and he's, hasn't, he's had the issue at... Spurs, whereby he's he's brought some players in, but he hasn't really been able to throw the hundreds of millions that he likes to throw at, at new players either. It's difficult to to say exactly what to put your finger exactly on what's gone wrong for him. I don't. I think he. I think personally he's changed as well, but he doesn't realise it. Um, you know, he used to be a really um, sort of infusing um, kind of 
likeably Machiavellian character that you could see why a team and a squad really sort of galvanised behind him. Whereas now he just looks a bit tired, um, and the, 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 you know that glint in his eyes, God, he's not that he's not cheeky, he's not mischievous anymore. He's just just miserable. I don't think the way he manages by deliberately ostracising certain players, by criticising, by never taking culpability for himself. I don't think it really wears anymore with a lot of players, and I think that players have started to see through it. And he was always likely to to end up in trouble when. Or, or he has always been likely to end up in trouble when his team stops winning. Because when, he t- when his team stops winning, he doesn't have the tools to turn it around. And I think that's exactly what's happened, isn't it? You know, they started the season great. Um, as you say, they could have gone top of the league with that with that point at Anfield that, that turned into a defeat. And as soon as results turned, he doesn't have an answer. Um, mm. And, you know, we've been here, haven't we? You know, again, his his interview post-match today was all, all about how Pogba should have been sent off. Um and all sort of other gripes and sort of implied that he shouldn't he it's not worth him wasting his time tactically describing the game to the interviewer because because they couldn't possibly understand and um <laughs> you know this is this is kind of where he, okay. and I mean, you know the things we saw the things we saw with it doesn't surprise me that Spurs are conceding goals late and losing leads because we saw at United what we'd so often do is if we scored a goal immediately you drop back into that low block and don't do anything. Just sit there. Mm. You know, we, that that nearly cost us that Europa League final against Ajax with that with that semi against Celta Vigo, who we had on the ropes, and we just stopped playing. Just completely stopped playing. And and again, start only starting playing again if we go behind. <laughs> if we need a goal, it's very interesting seeing it seeing it play out somewhere else. Um, and also how just everything's going the same way, isn't it? I think Spurs have become a quite a fractious Spurs fans have become quite a fractious bunch because. You know that's what that's what he does. He he kind of creates um, almost like you know it's like it's like the sort of the right wing culture wars, isn't it? You create divisions to distract from your own um, sort of issues or your own the, the the paucity of your own arguments. It is very interesting watching it from the outside. It's just it's it's just nice that it's somebody else for a change because if nothing else, you know, well, I think one of the reasons that I've I've been so a lot very patient or was patient more patient with Ollie anyway is that. Just generally, even if we not, even if we haven't been getting results, the club just feels like a better place, doesn't it? It feels like a nicer place, oh, a happier God, yeah. place. Um, you know, we're not we're not all hating on each other too much, and and nobody's, you know, Ollie's not slapping the players down at every available opportunity, and no one's grumping around all the time, and you know, it's just it's just a, a far nicer club, and I think we've also realised that a lot of those players that we that we all hated by the end of Mourinho's time. They weren't all hateable players. They were just, it was just the nature of the way that they'd been portrayed and treated that made them players that we hated. Well, one of the things that I've been doing today in prep for the episode of the of Spurs versus that I'm going to be on in the morning tomorrow is listen back to flashpoints of our own show when things were going on for Mourinho. So I listened back to the two of us discussing uh, the Sevilla semi. Uh, last 16 time the champions league a couple of years back listen back to our episode uh the day he was sacked and for the former we were just flabbergasted we were so disappointed we were so frustrated with such fear induced football and with the latter we were so happy we were so relieved because i think we both agree at that stage the last couple of months of Mourinho's reign made it genuinely difficult it made it genuinely difficult to record a podcast 
covering United yeah. was such a toxic thing to be doing in that sense. And it was so unenjoyable, purely because you knew that even when the football was done, he wasn't done. You knew no. that whatever happened post-match was going to be something else that you'd have to unpack and discuss and react to emotionally. And it was such a draining experience to go through. And yeah, it is easier to go through it now. We'll watch that replicating somewhere else because obviously we don't have anywhere near that level of emotional attachment to it. It's not our club. It makes it a lot easier to go through, but it's also difficult to see that pattern repeating it's to a certain extent because I'm not, not, try, not trying to sound too holier than now, but I do feel for Spurs fans because it's not a fun situation to be in. Like It sucks the complete enjoyment of football and following a football team out of you, and especially the football. I mean... One of the really interesting things about this game, and I get, well, we'll come on to the first half in a little while, is when we think of the Mourinho teams of old, you think of these very pragmatic sides who are incredibly lethal in front of goal, could be relied upon to defend leads, and were very compact and very disciplined. Everyone knew their role. Positionally, they were exceptional. And they were a nasty team to play against because you knew they only really needed a couple of chances and they'd scored. They were lethal. Contrast that to today... How many times in that second half did United just find space between lines and just run through them? That mm. back four and that midfield line were just leaky as anything. It, it, the lack of positional discipline, the lack of awareness, the lack of defensive capability to actually close United down at almost any point in that second half, once we actually started to play, was absolutely incredible. Look, think about this. That, to- that Tottenham team have had a week to prepare for that game. They've had a week's rest. They've had a week to tactically and physically. Yeah, we, we were saying before this game, weren't we? We were saying we're almost giving ourselves an excuse by saying we just came back from Granada a couple of days ago. The team hasn't had much of a chance to train. How can they be really be up for this? We and especially when we have had one week. That's the point. I mean, I was, I was listening to the um, United We Stand podcast this, this morning and Andy Mitten was saying that United stayed in Granada on Thursday night. They flew to London on Friday and didn't. there was no training. They just had sort of, sort of warm down sessions in the hotel. And then they were, the last he'd heard, they were casting around for some sort of rec ground or, or sports facility where they could do one training session on Saturday before, before the game today. How can you, you know, how can you honestly tactically prepare and properly prepare a team for a, a really big match like that with, that with that amount of time to do it? And, and also knowing that, that the opposition team will have a physical advantage over you as well. I mean, it's, there are abs- there's absolutely no excuse for Spurs putting up the performance they did and we could have had an awful lot of excuse for United but but as it was they did superbly in the circumstance we haven't had a, a week off um, when they've been at their clubs the whole the whole squad's been at, at United since September I think we haven't had a week off since September yeah um so <laughs> well no that's true <laughs> but so so I mean you know the physical demands are absolutely astounding but it, it almost makes it more surprising that United keep pulling off these these sort of second half comebacks because they're they're pulling energy out and pulling results out in the points in games when they really should be running out of steam. What is that now? Twenty eight points gained from losing positions this season. Twenty three games in domestic league competition since we lost away. It's insane. Completely absurd numbers. And you know somebody point somebody pointed out. You know how is this this Norwegian PE teacher? Again and again and again, winning or competing with and winning games against some of the most storied and and highly rated managers in in world football. And this is just another one. I don't know, I've beaten Mourinho before, but this is just another one to 
to mark up. Everything was against United coming into that game in terms of preparation. And just as it was in the first game, the first United Spurs game, to be honest, and that one went badly. But And both of those games were, were affected by absolutely abysmal, pathetic VAR decisions and play acting, which led to... Um, led to United being disadvantaged in the game. So, um, yeah, to have, to have come through and won this this game, I think, is a really, really impressive um, marker in the sand, particularly given that West Ham and Chelsea also won. So we were, you know, we, we were talking about a nine-point gap to um, fifth a week ago, I think, or a week or so ago, um, and, and it was back to five before the start of this this match. So that you know that that's the sort of margin that starts to get a little bit a little bit scary. So to have gone and won this one today, I think, was a really, really, really big result. Absolutely. I mean, it's amazing that we've been speaking about this game for 10 minutes and haven't actually spoken about the actual goals or any of the actual events that happened in it so far. So maybe we should get onto that. Who cares? <laughs> well, no, no. It, no it's just, it's, it's such an emotional event, wasn't it, in a way? Because it was the, the flashbacks to our time under Mourinho have been so visceral and so clear and slow start from United. I didn't expect anything more. I mean, the first half was, was pretty much bar the goal, exactly what I expected. I didn't expect United to come out all guns blazing. I didn't expect Spurs to come out and do much of anything. And neither of those things happened. I think perhaps Spurs showed a little bit more willingness in terms of an attacking intent prior to Cavani's not goal. Um, I did notice in particular, though, uh, and this is something that uh, on the Extra Inch of Spurs podcast that I've been listening to, they have noted, is that teams are starting to target their forward players higher up the pitch when they turn the ball over, so they're trying to stop the quick counter-attacks. Yeah. And we did see, particularly in the first half, that was we were good at doing that on occasion. I don't think we properly got caught out, apart from maybe the goal, defensively all half. Um, you know, in terms of the disallowed goal for Cavani, Excellent work by Pogba, who I thought had an excellent game in general. I thought his ball mm. control was superb. Almost everything that he did came off, apart from you know that flick where I think he's his back. To, the ball is slightly behind him and his back to goal, and he's either fallen over or hit the ball in his ankle. Regardless, not his best moment, but he did so well in that instance just to wait for something to come to him. And because Spurs stood off him, he had the chance to wait until Cavani has just started that run again, run off the defender and slotted it home perfectly past Yuris. Now, the, I understand that you know, if we're going to talk about VAR in a broader sense, the one thing that we have to keep saying to ourselves is that it's not necessarily the technology that's at fault. It's the way we implement it. And regardless mm. of how you might look at decisions, the people who are making decisions are all are going to be the same ones that are doing it on the pitch. So in that sense, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that we've been seeing decisions today and over the course of the weekend that we disagree with. As far as that one today on McTom- on Son goes from McTominay, I mean, I've seen the take, I've seen the words games gone so many times that they've lost all meaning. But I mean, I, I was close to typing those exact words out, Rich. I was very close. Yeah. I think the frustration is that even if we accept that the VAR is here, and I, I'm not, I'm not against VAR per se. I, I was quite intrigued as to how it would how it would work out. The issues that we've got are issues of people. There are issues of people making bad decisions and forgetting their own protocols. You know, the, the first one is these are supposed to be clear and obvious mistakes, clear and obvious errors by the by the referee. Now, if you watch the, the video back, you can't even actually see if McTominay's made any serious contact with Son's face or not. There's no way to tell it from the from the uh, the video that we saw. There's no clear and obvious mistake being made there. The second point is when the when the, the the referee goes over to the monitor, he was shown a, a, a two second clip 
essentially of McTominay's arm moving back to sort of hand off Son. What you didn't see, because they didn't show the bit before it, was Son basically hanging on to McTominay, which prompted McTominay to put his arm back to push him off. Why do you only take it back as far as you need, it needs to go to see if there's an infringement by the attacking team, but you don't look to see if there's an infringement two seconds before that, which which led to that, that infringement? You know, but you've got to, mm. There's got to be some sensible cut-off. And if, if there's any doubt when you look at the video as to what, the contact was or whether the player was really injured or whatever then by definition you can't overturn the, the decision because it has to be clear and obvious um mm. and i you know i saw a few, few sort of people tweeting when you can't united fans can't complain because they've got ridiculous decisions in their favor as well and um, you know i have two points for that one yes we have but that doesn't make any of them right does it and 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 the second point is well what can fans do about it you know, if you people people don't talk about when West Ham get a really ropey decision in their favour that leads to them winning winning a football match. If you if it happens at United, you know, there's a three thousand word think piece on it the next day in half the papers. You know, it's it's mm. <clears throat> so these things are these things are massively highlighted when when they happen to United. But the fact that the fact that sometimes United get goals that way doesn't make any difference. It means the whole thing is it means the whole thing is being applied poorly. I mean, as well, I think one of the things that certainly helped make the referee's mind up was that Son stayed on the ground for a long time. That guy's got a lo- that guy's got a lovely, happy face, and everyone says he's not that kind of player, and yet he's 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 a proper little schneidy. And I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying we wouldn't love him for being a proper little snidey if he was playing for us, because I'm sure we would. But he is, he is, and he, you know he made an absolute meal of that and rolled around. You're right. The reality is, if he doesn't roll around on the floor crying, then that never even gets looked at. It seems very pot meat cow to be suggesting that player shouldn't be rolling around in agony at the slightest contact because every single team has a player that will do that at least once per game, an overhead contact. Can I point you towards one Bruno Fernandes for a start? Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying he's the only one. Like I say, players, players do do it, but it's shit. Referees, you know, if you've actually got a video that you can watch to see, to really analyse what's happening there, you know, there should be a bit more awareness of of what what's actually happened and what is the reaction proportional to the to the the action that led to it. Mm. You know, now the one thing I would say about that from United's perspective yeah. is that we dealt with the disappointment of that goal being chalked off badly. We yeah. stood off Spurs and we clearly let it wind us up. You know, you look at Cavani going after Rodon shortly after that and getting booked for his reaction, basically for getting annoyed at Rodon making a bit of a meal of the contact. United, I don't think they lost their heads, but they lost their focus, certainly, for a good five or ten minutes after that goal was chalked off. And in that sense, it wasn't a gigantic surprise to see us concede. And it was even more frustrating considering you scored it. So it's a pretty straightforward ball. It was a wonderful touch from Harry Kane, but Victor Lindelof really has to be doing better to cut that out. It looks like it's gone under his foot and he's completely missed it. Lucas with a great touch across to Son, who's completely wide open and tucks it into the near post beyond Henderson. Nothing Dean could do on that one. Obviously, incredibly frustrating that Son, given the over-egged contact on the disallowed goal, was there to score. But, yeah, that's what Spurs are capable of. They are capable of flashes like that and scoring goals out of absolutely nothing. And I think that was... It wasn't so much a warning for United, but I think it was a a real point at which we decided to wake up. You know, after that goal, we seemed to respond quite well. And we took that response into the second half to the point where... We looked a completely different side. You know, it wasn't too dissimilar from the game we played here a year ago after lockdown ended in the sense that United started to find a head of steam once Pogba started to increase his influence and came on. 
I think today on the left-hand side of that midfield three, he was great. I really like yeah. him in that position because it means he's not going centrally. He gets more license to drift around. And he's such a good dribbler and so good in terms of controlling the ball that he will bring players towards him and be able to find the likes of Shaw or Fred and trying to get the ball closer into the middle of the, of the goal. It's great for us to be able to have him out on that side. And that's, you know, on the left in midfield of the three is where he really excelled for Juventus, right? Mm. And in particular, I thought, he was increasing his influence as that game wore on and the way the goal comes I mean wonderful piece of work Fred Fred Richard driving Mm. forward from midfield but not only that carrying on his run now to me I think Cavani scores that if he takes it first time I think the first touch gives Lloris a bit more time and Cavani less space in order to get the shot in but so good to see Fred following up and tapping that in because those are the sort of dirty goals, the good position goals or the scrappy goals that we just don't seem to get very often. And especially considering how derided and criticised Fred has been over the last couple of months, it was really nice to see him get that goal. Yeah, I mean, he, he kind of try, oh, tried to miss it, didn't he? Kind of went in off the very, very roof of the net. Oh, it went very high. <laughs> it did go very high. It was not a tap-in as you described it. <laughs> a blast-in then, shall we say. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't... He wasn't having a good game with the ball again prior to that. Um, one, one of the frustrations with Fred is that he is so good off the ball, so good in terms of in terms of regaining the ball when we've lost it, but he's too often too slack when we've when we've got it. Um, and I think that was that was the case for a lot of today. But but he has moments where he does things which are high quality, and it, that's what's almost frustrating because it shows you he can do it, but but for some reason it doesn't happen sort of 75% of the time. But yeah, I mean, it was nice It was nice for him to get a goal. It was a really important goal to have got when we did because it gave us a good chunk of the game to push on and take control and, and win the game. A bit like the game, the goal against Brighton, the first United goal against Brighton, it sort of kind of came at the right time and gave us plenty of time to, to, to push on. And it kind of knocked Spurs back on their heels a bit. And whilst they had, you know, they had one or two chances and it took a little while for United to really make the dominance count, Spurs didn't really react too well to that to conceding that goal at all now i mean i think we do need to mention a couple of big big saves from henderson in that second half especially after the equalizer you know there was kane trying to go in at the near post both of these were leg saves as well obviously that's david de gea's forte so that was very pleasing to see because we know that henderson is better in the air and also i think if we're going to talk about henderson's performance in general how satisfying was it to see him come off his line so early and close down opportunities where perhaps Lindelof or Maguire had lost Kane going through the middle? And yeah. he comes out so quickly. His reading of the game has been really pleasing and encouraging so far. To see him react that quickly and snuff out chances and just get the ball clear when we potentially been under pressure in those situations, I, I don't see Dave doing that very much. I, don't oh. say, I can't remember the lot. I, mean, I think at one point Henderson was about 40 yards out, wasn't he, as he came out to um to sort of boot a clearance after it had been played through I, I can't recall the last time i saw De Gea outside his area now maybe i maybe i've i've cleared it clearly from my memory but I, I you know he De Gea just doesn't do that he doesn't sweep up he's not a he's not a keeper who hangs on the edge of his d and um and rushes out at the first sign of first sign of trouble henderson is or does appear to be a much more mobile more proactive goalie i think yeah, yeah. I mean, that's kind of exactly what United need when we still have a couple of flaws in our back four, right? I think yeah, that's yeah. exactly the sort of leader and collected and focused presence that we need going forward. And, you know, I guess we'll come on to a bigger chat in terms of De Gea's future if and when we need to have that chat. But for the time being, it's very encouraging to see Henderson playing so well. And the second save as well from uh, Aurier driving into the box and Son taking on that shot. 
superb. You love to see reactions on that level and that quick. And one other thing we need to talk about is the return to form of one Mason Greenwood. And now I say form, obviously, in uh, a, a sense. Since Christmas, I think he's been playing quite well, but he hasn't necessarily had the goals to back that up, right? Mm. He turned the game for us earlier on today. You know, mm. I think we were still playing quite well and we were still creating. And I think... Again, it was uh, incredible how much space United were afforded because Spurs just refused to close us down when we were attacking in those sort of instances. And they were getting some good luck on the break. I think United, for the most part, coped with it, but there were certainly a couple of hairy moments here and there. When Mason came on, I mean, the build-up play for Cavani's goal, the second, and essentially the eventual winner, the go-ahead goal anyway, was the cross for that is so exquisite. Yeah, I mean, the fact that he said it first time... Wonderful touch by Bruno to nutmeg Reguillon. And the fact that he's hit that cross first time and Cavani is not only wise to it, but gets on the end of it and buries it past Lloris. I mean, an exquisite goal. I mean, the cross is fantastic and the header is even better. You know, I think we criticised Cavani for being off the pace over the last couple of weeks since his return. I think today he was great. You know, he was clearly up for it. There was so much fire and so much willingness to organise the players around him to get him involved and you know he was mm. he was clearly playing with fire today which was very enjoyable to see and a wonderful header to put us two one ahead and then Mason's goal I think Lloris might think to a certain degree he might have done better with that considering it's on his near post but having said that we know Mason likes to absolutely hammer it and it's superb work Pogba shielding the ball from two players hitting it between his feet and just making the space to pass it over to Greenwood it's that shimmy inside and the blast to make it 3-1 what a very enjoyable and satisfying scoreline that turned out to be. Yeah, I, I'd say it's probably the most satisfying result I've enjoyed this season, just because of the context around it as well. You know, the, the win at City was was ace because we'd won at City and nobody was getting anything out of them. But this one, this one felt about a little bit more than football, didn't it? Um, and particularly with the context of the disallowed goal as well. You kind of you're carrying that bitterness and that 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 feeling that you've been cheated in some way into it as well. So that to actually turn it around and win it is is far more of a uh, you know it's it's the it's the old Schadenfreude football football, isn't it? You know you you love you kind of love almost you love beating teams that you really love to see lose more or people you love to see to see lose more. Yes, I mean the entire context of that game and then Mourinho's post match interview as well just just built the the pleasure of, of the game well on Greenwood I, I think something I haven't heard anybody say it, and maybe I'm maybe I'm wrong but I kind of get the feeling that what we saw last season was a very single-minded Mason Greenwood so his game was all about finishing wasn't it it was about it yeah. was about shooting it was about it was about sticking the ball in the net and I I, I would imagine that there's to a degree been some emphasis for Molly this season in trying to develop his all-round game because it wasn't really there, you know, as you wouldn't expect. I mean, he, you know, he's learning. It wasn't really there last season um, for, for a lot of the time. And and it's, I think, I don't think any United fan would, would disagree with me if I said that, that Greenwood's all-round game has improved a great deal this season, even when he wasn't, you know, when he wasn't scoring. And so the key, the key for him now is really to put the two together, isn't it? Is to, to keep contributing in a, in a creative sense, in a, in a, breaking teams down since but also getting back to scoring you know scoring goals regularly as well because you know we don't we don't have a prolific center forward so we rely on goals from from really kind of the front six particularly to sort of amass our goal total so yeah and, and I think we've we've seen signs of him being able to do that and I think today was another another example of that where he's come into a game 
fresh. Um, he's had to work out what's going on tactically, work out how he can harm a team. And he's not only scored the goal, but he's also been very, very effective at, at um, opening Spurs up and, and, and creating vulnerabilities that weren't necessarily there before he came on. So I think, again, it's I, I'm really pleased with the way that, that Solskjaer's been developing him over the last 18 months or so. Wow. I mean, again, I, I've, I agree that one felt better than perhaps it had any right to feel. If you look at that, that's 3-1 now. That's United. All right. Yeah, on 63 points, 11 points behind City at the moment. But with that game in hand, obviously, after that defeat to Leeds United, that was fun on Saturday afternoon. Mm. Um, beating Mourinho after coming from behind again. Um, I mean, I, I wasn't even really thinking of the 6-1, to be honest with you, in terms of thinking of the sweetness of the victory, because I think it's very difficult to get revenge, a manner of revenge for a defeat that heavy. And again, I think in context... The more time's gone on, the more it was obvious just how thoroughly undercooked we were and what a freak result it was because we've seen that sort of results mirrored in so many different points in the season, right? And, yeah. you know, we go on through what's happened this year and, you know, again, you know, you think of other satisfying elements of it. Not that I don't want to see Bruno doing well, but I think you didn't have a single goal involvement today. No assists and no goals, which is very rare, especially given that United played so well in that second half. To him to not make a massive contribution to the team and United still to excel is it's good, you know, especially when Pogba was balling as he was today. It was fantastic. But he's not scoring from open play, is he? But for, for you know Fernandez, he's his form has been a bit a bit ropey for a while. But he's still scoring his penalties. But he's not really scoring from open play, and you, you can't really turn around and say United rely on Fernandez's you know goals anymore, can you? Because they're coming from everywhere else, really, and, and not necessarily from Fernandez. Yeah, I mean, he came very close to scoring the second half, right, after he yeah, hit that shot so. across the Reese, but it wasn't quite enough in the corner to get past the keeper. Um, that had gone in then, obviously, we're talking. I'm not even bothering to make this point, but I think now he's starting to show some signs of wear and tear or at least tiredness or a lack of sharpness. Yeah. I mean, well, we've been seeing these at various points during the year just because of how much we've relied on him. It's good to see the likes of Pogba stepping up, especially in a game as emotional as today. Because I think if you look at it, if we were going to take the emotion out of this tie and talk about this game as a whole, essentially United, if we're being really dull about this, they could have afforded to lose today. And it wouldn't have screwed us over that much, given that we do have that gap is with Leicester losing uh, earlier on this afternoon to West Ham. Having won that, you would imagine that, especially given the intensity of games against Mourinho, especially given what we know of this side. You know, we were talking a little while ago about Luke Shaw having to, you know, mentioning via Kieran Dyer that he had to get help, external help for his mental health under Mourinho because it was so bad and he was so tired of getting hammered. And look at Luke Shaw excelling under Manchester United manager now and Rashford and Greenwood and so many other players who struggled under Mourinho doing well. And, you know, in particular, I guess we can't really talk about the title, really, can we? Because it's not like City are going to drop, what, th- they're going to have to lose three more games between now and the end of the season. And we're going to have to yeah. be absolutely spotless in order to get anywhere near them. But it'd be nice to try and keep that winning margin, you know, at least in single figures. That would be nice and hopefully move on to a title charge next season. I think what it does as well is it means that when we get round to that, assuming we qualify on Thursday, when we come round to those semi-finals against... Roma or Ajax particularly, you know, we're, we're in a position where we where we can afford to prioritise those two games we're towards the end of the season, I think. And these two these two last Premier League wins have been really big to that end. You know, for the first time, we, we can probably rest quite a few players on Thursday and, and it doesn't, it, it wouldn't be too much 
um, of, a, of, a, of a nightmare if we dropped a few points in three or four weeks when we have to play around the semi-finals because we've got that cushion now. I mean, another couple of interesting tidbits have come out in the aftermath. Uh, Charlotte Dunker, who works over at the MEN, has been saying that there's a good chance that Cavani's going to leave for South America at the end of the season. Yeah. He struggled to uh, adjust to Manchester. <laughs> well, you're not the only one, mate. Uh, <laughs> combined with uh, the ban that he received earlier on this year, and that shook him a little bit, which I understand. You know, I... I think he's we've we've been able to get a fair bit out of him given injuries etc. I know mm. that we've been saying you know how bothered we are about it. I would be sad to lose him as a person and a player. And then Roy Keane dropping a heavy hint that he thinks Harry Kane might be destined for United, which is amazing. Did Roy he Keane now? with a little bit of ITK nonsense in the full time uh, the chat on Sky Sports saying I think he fancies United and was very coy was Gosh. our former captain. I know. Uh, I mean, I can't see it happening myself, mate. No, 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 absolutely not. No, no, no. Oh, I guess we've got two more interesting games to look forward to. We've got the second leg against Renada and then the visit of Burnley to Old Trafford. I think, what is it? Burnley have beaten us the last two times they've come to United now? Yeah. I'm not looking forward to that one. Well, no, I, I think we'll get the job done. And I'm, a, and I'm an actual pessimist, so um, I, I expect this the next two games to be positive experiences for us. True. Okay, let's dust this off with a couple of quotes from our good friends over at Twitter. Nathan Downey saying, Are we allowed to hold on to the faintest bit of hope that we can win the league? Foolish to do so, but surely we're allowed to hope. No. Nathan, you are allowed to hope. I mean, that's fine, but just add it a dash of realism in there as well. I don't see City were losing three further games between the end of the season much less us winning all of us. No, no. Lethal Dizzle says, I'm going to be so sad when Pogba eventually leaves this club, but I fear our football might be sadder. Um, yep. I think a performance like today reminds you exactly of why we brought Pogba in the first place. When you get the right situation going, when he gets space to perform and dictate like that, he's pretty much unplayable. It's so good to see on those occasions. Mm. We do get to see it. Siddharth Srikumar, he was great today, but how confident are you in Dean Henderson as the long-term number one? I mean, to me, I think the more games we get, the better sample size we're going to receive. And at this stage, you can't deny him getting more and more opportunities to prove his worth, right? Mm. A game like today... He was a, a, the goal aside, which I don't think he had much say in anyway. I thought he was flawless. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I'm not sure how many games he's played now since he's he's come back in or come in as the sort of de facto first choice keeper. But I can only really think to the to the AC Milan equaliser. I think he probably should have saved that he didn't, and he's made a few really handy saves as well. So, as far as I'm concerned, Dean Henderson in my head, will be the natural heir to David De Gea until he presents me with evidence that suggests he's not up to it. Um, but so far, I haven't seen that. So I, I don't have any concerns at this moment if Oli decided that he wants to go with Henderson next season. Right, a couple of score predictions for this week then. Uh, Granada first. Oh, I'll say I'll say a really ugly 1-0 win. Sounds good. Uh, and what about Burnley? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite positive about that one. Don't know why. Knowing United, it'll be we'll, we'll probably concede, concede first because, duh... Um, uh, <laughs> and maybe win 2-1 now I think Rich you were speaking about uh, weeks off we do actually have a week off coming up you know wow is that after, Burn- off. after the Burnley game yeah there's a gap between Burnley and Leeds in our wow, two league games where we actually don't have a game to play which will be nice well, I'll tell you what, if, the, there's a, uh, if there's a team we need to rest before we play I think it's definitely Leeds uh, I mean considering the win that they got yesterday I mean, not that we're into any sort of Pro League United propaganda on this show, you'll understand, but um, that was a decent performance at the Etihad, wasn't it? <clears throat> Considering they were down to 10 men for the second half of that game. It was very anti anti the leads we've seen a lot of this season, you know, often sublime going forward, but just 
quite too often ridiculous at the back. So it's quite a surprise to see them pull out what was a really, really dogged, dogged victory, really. They had to really dig in the whole of the second half and to, to not concede and then to break away and, and score the winner was quite funny, I thought. <laughs> oh, yeah, I very much enjoyed that. Mm. Did a little yelp. Always good fun to see City fail. I mean, yeah. God, it's going to be an interesting week in the Champions League. We should discuss that next weekend. Anyway, Rich, let's wrap it up there for the evening. Pleasure as always. Oh, it was. was I mean, it was an extra it was, pleasure. It was, it was definitely a pleasure today, yeah. <laughs> and we hope you all enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, if you so wish, you can get us all over Twitter. Uh, you can get me at you and like this. You can get Rich at Rich Red Voices and the pod at Red Voices MUFC. You can find our blog at redvoices.net. And the podcast itself can be found on the Apple Podcast app, on Spotify, on Stitcher and SoundCloud, basically anywhere decent where you can get podcasts. And if you have the ability to either rate, subscribe or review the show, please do. That'd be fantastic. We'll be back after next weekend's game against Burnley. So in the meantime, please make do you take care of yourselves. Bye. Bye.